Thank you, God, for the reading of your word. Would you bless the preaching this morning? So when I think of the vision that we have in planting Imago Day, I think of the statistics of Omaha, how 75% of Omaha openly claim to be non-Christian. I think of the steady decline of Christianity in America. Christianity in America and Europe are, one of the, uh, are the two continents in the world where Christianity is actually on the decline. I think of the 40% of people that are unreached with the gospel throughout the world. I think of, when I think of the vision and, and why we're planting Imago Day, I think of how hard it is to get into the public school system to share the gospel with children. My heart breaks that there's religion in Omaha, but not very many people worshiping Jesus. I think of the vast amount of churches in Omaha that are non-evangelical. And sadly, I think of even the places of worship here in the city and in this country that preach a different gospel. When I think of the vision of Imago Day, I think of also the diversity of Omaha, and not just ethnic or racial, but also socioeconomic uh, diversity, that there's so many different people from so many different walks of life and, and cultures and um, so many different, um, uh, you know, you have the rich and the poor, the, 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 the different kinds of diversity socioeconomically. And so when I think of the vision of Imago Day, I'm forced to remember Four essential things that have been on our heart in planting this church. And the first vision that we have uh, for what we would accomplish with planting this church is that we will see revival in our hearts, homes, and the churches that we partner with. And the second is that we will see salvation flood our neighborhood and our city. The third is that we'll make an impact on the unreached people group of the world, the 40% that we was just talking about. And the fourth is that Imago Day would be a, a people called out of God from all different walks of life that are unified by Jesus as most treasured in our lives. That Jesus would be the focal point of our lives, the most treasured portion of our lives, that nothing else matters essentially aside from Jesus, that he is our treasure, our greatest value. So in planning this, this church, we're asking God to move in mighty ways to fulfill this vision. And we're asking God to revive. We're asking him to save. We're asking him to send. We're asking him to gather in this local church a people that value Jesus above all else. So in this letter we find uh, Paul in the book of Romans. We find Paul writing to the church in Rome. And although Paul has never been there before, he desired greatly to travel there to preach the gospel and use it as a hub to reach Spain with the gospel. And Paul wrote this letter from Corinth during his third missionary journey. And it seems that although he hasn't been there before, that he knows a great number of people. He's, he's addressed over a dozen people in this, in, this, in this book that he knows by a first name basis. Um, and, and the theme of this letter that jumps out to us, in these, and, and it's seen in these two verses, verses 16 and 17, is justification by faith. And what I mean when I say justification by faith is that we are saved in faith in Christ alone. And so let's dive into our first point. Number one, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. See, Paul begins verse 16 with a conjunction, which is in this case a little three-letter word, and it's for. So the word for might be small in measure, only being three letters, but it has some serious significance. See, here in verses 16 and 17, it means everything. Here, Paul is, Paul's desire is to conjoin verse 16 with the passages before it, verses 8 through 15. But I think, however, that looking at verses 14 and 15, we'll really get a good idea of what Paul is trying to say. So fix your eyes on verse 14. 
I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And verse 16, for I am unashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. So why would Paul feel the need to have to say that? Why would Paul feel the need to have to say, I am unashamed of the gospel? And I think it would do us uh, wonders to remember the culture, to remember the, the society that, that Paul lived in during uh, the first century in his ministry. See, he lived in a culture that was very hostile to the gospel. And on top of that, uh, the place that he so desperately wanted to preach the gospel in, in Rome was the very epicenter of the most powerful empire on the earth at that time. Uh, it, was, it was the nastiest place on that earth at that time. See, Rome hated the Jews, and Israel was seen as weak and inferior to them because uh, Israel was subdued by Rome. See, Rome was full of philosophers. They were full, full, uh, full of different ideas, different idols, different quote-unquote gods. And not only that, but, but Rome was a vile cesspool of idolatry and sexuality and paganism and other gross sins that trickled down to other places in the world. And with that in mind, we have to remember the gospel here. The gospel originated in Jerusalem, the very place that these Romans absolutely hated and despised because they had conquered Israel, right? The gospel is about Jesus Christ, a Jew who died and rose again. See, the Romans had plenty of gods who in their eyes were powerful warriors. Why would they pay attention to a god like Jesus, a Jew who rose from the dead? See, their, their gods and their philosophies allowed them to eat, drink, and be merry. Their gods and philosophies allowed them to fornicate with whoever they want and to do as they pleased. Why would they want a god like our god? See, they were a proud people. And, and most would think it was bizarre and most would think that it was very humorous that a Jewish man like Paul would come and preach salvation by repentance and faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ to these Roman pagans. But here in this text this morning, we see something very amazing. See, Paul already knowing the kinds of people that the Romans are, a proud people, a sinful people, a philosophical people, a very dangerous people. Paul already knowing who they are says, I am unashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. And to be honest, if, if Paul wanted to, as we've seen, he would have several reasons not to go to Rome to preach the gospel. But instead he says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to go there and proclaim Jesus. I think that we see that very clearly in Paul's life. And, and I think that we see that Paul is unashamed of the gospel. And I want us to think of the lengths that he went to to take the gospel to the nations. I mean, 2 Corinthians 11 tells us that Paul had labored for the gospel above anybody else. That he was imprisoned for the gospel. That he was beaten without a number, beaten times without number for the gospel. That he was often in dangers of death and sleepless nights. That he was often hungry and thirsty. And that he was often cold and exposed for his mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that's not even all of his sufferings in great detail. But Paul ultimately was so unashamed of the gospel that he would eventually die by decapitation. Getting his head cut off for the gospel. A bold and a brave apostle he was. And, and, and he had an attitude that we so desperately need today. In a commentary on Romans, Dr. R.C. Sproul wrote that that is the real crunch for many Christians. They want to be secret service Christians. They do not want to be known as holier than thou. They know that if they say one word to their friends about Christ, they will get accused of trying to shove the gospel down their throats. If we get rebuffed enough times, pretty soon we find ourselves to be tempted to be embarrassed about our faith. 
And I thought that was a pretty solid point that Sproul had made there because I have to admit that I've waited in line before uh, waiting to get my food. And I hear a conversation going on uh, with maybe two guys in front of me. And this has really happened. And, and I have thought, like, man, I really should probably share the gospel with these guys. I should, I should, inter- I should intervene in their conversation. I hear what they're talking about. It's a great segue to share the gospel with them. But before long, I've contemplated way too long and I've considered what they might think. I've started to consider what they might say. I've started to consider how awkward it's going to feel if they reject my message. And I'm standing here waiting in line with them at the Panda Express. I mean, I have, I have started to wait so long that eventually they get their food. I get my food. We go on two separate sides of the restaurant and the opportunity is vanished. And there I am ashamed of the gospel. I have to admit that I've sat down at the table with my family, with my in-laws and my friends before. You know, the food served and it'd be a perfect time to, uh, you know, lead us maybe in a gospel-centered prayer where I could preach the gospel in my prayer uh, to my lost family members. But I began to think, are they going to think that maybe I'm holier than thou? Are they going to think that, man, I'm trying to shove Jesus down their throat or I'm trying to beat them over the head with the Bible? So instead I get my food and and, an act of good faith, I sit down with my food and I just maybe bow my head and I say a couple words, mumble them underneath my breath. And there I sit eating my food ashamed of the gospel. No, I've, I've been invited to a church to preach before, and this is somewhat comical, but when I arrived at this church, it was anything but a church. It was so chaotic and so crazy, I almost didn't feel safe having my wife there that I, that I wanted to leave right away. And I'm telling you, if I told you the things that I saw, you would think that I was lying to you, but you could ask my wife about it. She, she was there, and, and she was a witness. But I witnessed how devoid this place was of biblical preaching, of good, solid doctrine, and, and I witnessed of how... Devoid this place was of gospel-centered preaching. And, and, and unfortunately, I left before I had the opportunity to preach. I got up and I walked out. I took my wife and my friend with me and I left. Got in the truck and I was ashamed of the gospel. Now, that hasn't always been true of my life. but And I'm not going to sit here and tell you about all the times that I have been bold with the gospel. But I want you to see that I, that I have been there before too. I haven't stood up to give a brave and bold account of Jesus in certain areas before in my life as well. I've been there too. And, and in moments of weakness, I have acted ashamed of the gospel. But you know what? That no longer has to happen anymore. See, I made a vow that day when I walked out of that, that church and I knew I was so convicted in my heart that I should have preached the gospel. Above anything else, I should have put my notes away and I should have got up and preached Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. Something maybe they would have never ever heard before could have been landed on their ears. I made a vow that I'll preach the gospel anywhere that I'm invited and I'll never walk out again. And I don't give a rip what someone might think about my witness or my desire to live a holy and consecrated life. See, when we try to live holy lives and we try to deny our flesh and deny ourselves, people always seem to have something smart to say to you. See, and I'll I'll listen to the Holy Spirit when He nudges me to share the gospel. See, no matter how many times I'm rebuffed over my faith in Jesus Christ, I will not be embarrassed because of it, because I know the lengths that Jesus went to to save a man like me. Rebuffed he was, despised he was, rejected he was, and Jesus never gave up doing the Father's will so that he could save a people like us. Amen? And that's something to be proud of. That's something that we can boast about in Christ. In Christ alone, we can lay aside our shame. In Christ alone, we can boast. In Christ alone, we can be proud. And I hope that's true of your life. I hope that you see the times that you didn't do, didn't do so hot as a, as a witness, as 
a messenger of, of Jesus. I hope, that, I hope that's true of your life. I hope you can see these times. I hope you can identify them. And, and I hope that you can see the times that you might have acted ashamed or, or prideful or embarrassed or, or possibly even scared of your faith. I hope that you can recognize these moments of weakness in your life. And most importantly, I hope that you can say that it is my desire not to be ashamed of the gospel. No longer will I sit back. I hope that you could say this. No longer will I sit back and fail to give an answer for the hope that I have in Christ. And beloved, the, the world that we live in today is not very nice. It's very hostile to the gospel. We live in a world whose ears are stopped up to the truth. They bite and they gnash their teeth at the very name of Jesus. We live in a world that's full of idolatry, whose God is their stomachs doing only what they think is right in their own eyes. The world we live in would love to see Jesus on the cross again. The world that we live in would love to see every Bible burned and destroyed. The world that we live in wants nothing to do with the one and only holy God who sent his son Jesus Christ in the world to die for their sins. Church, it would be very easy to be Christians who are incognito. It would be very easy in this hostile world to be Christians who go unseen. It would be very easy to be Christians who lay low in the America that we live in today. But if you've been paying attention, you'll see that the world that we live in today that I briefly described is nowhere near as bad as the world that Paul lived in during his day. See, Paul faced very life-threatening and very serious dangers for his faith in Christ. Now, our, our brothers and our sisters may be facing some serious life-threatening persecution overseas, but here in America, we're really not facing that level of persecution yet. And if we want to see revival in our hearts, if we want to see revival in our homes, if we want to see revival in our churches that we partner with, if we want to see salvation flood the streets of Omaha, if we want to reach the nations with the gospel, if we want to see our church filled with people from all walks of life who are unified by Jesus as most treasured in their life, then we have to be unashamed of the gospel. So let us follow in the example of the Apostle Paul and let us live lives wherever God has placed us that are unashamed of the gospel. You see, despite all of the reasons that Paul could have been ashamed of the gospel, he chose not to be. Why? The second part of verse 16 there in our second point. For it is the power of God for salvation. Again, we see that conjunction again, that, that three little word for. And it's connecting this section of the verse with the flow of thought coming before that. So I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. So the word power, I really love this word. The word power in the original language is where we get our word for dynamite. So it's dunamis. And the word salvation promises deliverance and restoration. So with that in mind, the gospel is dynamite. It's extraordinarily powerful. It's the power that God uses to bring about salvation, the deliverance and the restoration of all that sin has scarred and destroyed. And as we see in this text, this salvation is available to all who believe. See, Paul is unashamed of the gospel because he knows it is the power of God to save. See, God is all-powerful and he needs nobody, yet he is pleased to rest his power to save the world and the message of the gospel. So one pastor wrote that the foolishness of preaching is the method that God has chosen to save the world. And we see that exactly there in 1 Corinthians 1, 18-25. That the foolishness of preaching is the method that God has chosen to save the world. 18-25, 1 Corinthians. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to these who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Amen. So Paul, a tent-making Jew, with the message of the suffering servant, could be unashamed of the gospel in a place like Rome that was full of pride and power. Because it wasn't the power of Paul's eloquence. It wasn't the craftiness of his speech. It wasn't his good looks that saves. It's the power of God revealed in the gospel that saves. And, and likewise, I, as your pastor, don't stand up here this morning relying on my own education or relying on my rhetoric. I stand here relying on the power of God and the gospel to save because I know the power of God that saves oh so personally. I know the power of God that saves oh so personally. I know amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saves a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I know that amazing grace oh so personally. And I know that all of you guys do as well. This message of the gospel, the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, saves us from the penalties of sin. It saves us from the wrath of God. It saves us from the bondage and power of sin in our daily lives. This is my sweetest hope. It gives us a home in heaven for all of eternity. Where there's no more sin and no more death and no more addiction and and no more struggles with our mental health and and no more pain and, and no more heartache. There's no more tears. This message of the gospel, this power of God unto salvation is how the names of everyone who believes is written in the Lamb's book of life. It guarantees us a seat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. The message of the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. See, the the message of the gospel is not only for the Jews. It's not only for the Greeks. But as that word said there before, it's, it's for everyone who believes. Yes, there is an order that the gospel went out as we saw in Acts 1 that we preached Uh, Last week we saw that the gospel went out from Jerusalem, Judea, uh, and Samaria into the outer ends of the world. And we see it true in in Jesus' ministry as well, that he, he began with the Jews and then the apostles took it to the Gentiles. It's the way that Paul followed in his missionary journeys to take the gospel. You see Paul show up a lot of times. Um, to a town and he looks first for a synagogue or a group of believing Jews so he can present the gospel to them and whether they accept it or not he could shake the dust off his feet at them maybe and, and go on to preach to the Gentiles. We see him preaching in the synagogues and preaching in the marketplace. Yes, it has some significance uh, to the Jew first and to the Greeks that we could dive into deeper this morning but, but I just really want to point out what the text is not saying. The text is not saying that the Jews are better than the Greeks. The the text is not saying that there's some kind of superiority between them and and other people that are non-Jews. The text is not saying that that 
that the gospel is only for Jews and for Greeks, the text is saying that the gospel, the power of God unto salvation, is for everyone who believes. So to see revival and salvation flood Omaha, America, and the world, to to see our church filled with with people from all walks of life who are unified by Jesus as most treasured in their life, we have to believe that this is a work that only God can do. It's not any kind of strategy that we can implement. It's not any kind of um, game night that we can put on or any kind of thing that we can do. We have to trust and believe that it's only a work that God can do. And any ministry that we create here in this church, we have to pray. Does this fulfill the Great Commission? Does this glorify God? And God, would you work through this to draw people to yourself? So we have to believe that this is a work that only God can do. If we want to see these visions, this vision come true, we, we have to trust in His power. We have to believe that the message of the gospel is enough. And we have to keep it central in our lives and in our ministries. We have to pray that the power of God would explode through our communities. So apart from the power of God revealed in the gospel to save all who believe, we can do nothing. Centered around any other thing but the gospel, we fail. We have to trust that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So here at our, our third point. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Let me just read this section of scripture again one more time. For I'm unashamed, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Again, we see our, we, we, we find our friend, the conjunction, the word for there. And so, again, Paul is connecting the revealing of the righteousness of God to, or from faith to faith to the power of God that's revealed to us in the gospel for salvation. So why is it important that, that Paul would connect this to his previous flow of thoughts? And it's important because it means everything to what Paul is establishing in the entire book of Romans. Which is, like I said at the beginning, justification by faith. So verses 16 and 17 are the very theme and key verses of this book. And they bleed justification by faith. Which means that we are made right through faith. Or we are made right by God through faith. It means we are declared righteous through our faith in the gospel. So the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. Which is that God sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, into this world. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless, perfect life. Something that you and I could never do. Fulfilling the law to a T. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was hung on a cross. The cross that we deserved. The the righteousness of God was revealed when God punished sin on the cross. The perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, dying in our place. He took on the wrath of God that was meant for us. The righteousness of God was revealed when after three days Jesus rose from the grave, triumphing over sin and death and making salvation available to the believing sinner. So God's power or His righteousness of God is revealed in that gospel. That God would punish sin on the cross in Jesus The death we deserved. The the wrath we deserved. 
Yet when Jesus dying on the cross and raising again after three days, declaring that, that grave has no hold on him, that, that he triumphed over death and, and, and the grave, and giving, offering salvation to all who would believe in him. That's how the righteousness of God is displayed, that he could be both the just and the justifier. So the book of Romans is, is a subpoena into a holy courtroom of the Almighty God. In the first, first three chapters, I really need to stop holding up my hand because every time I do that, it'll be three and I'll hold up four. It's like I just can't count, okay? So in the, in the first three chapters, Paul brings all of humanity, both Jew and Gentile, into the courtroom and proves that they are guilty. So let's read Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 10. I read this section of Scripture, Romans 3, verse 10 through 18. As the first section of scripture that I read in the Romans road and I was saved uh, by reading this in Romans 5, 8 and Romans chapter 10. So beginning in verse, verse 10 of Romans chapter 3. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There's none who does good. There's not even one. Their, their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. In the path of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. He proves, as Galatians 3.22 says, that Scripture has shut up everyone under sin. So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Paul puts everybody, all of humanity... In the holy courtroom of the Almighty God here. And shows that they are guilty. So what Paul is saying here in verse 17. Is that it is the righteousness. Is that the righteousness that saves is the righteousness of God. It isn't any sort of righteousness that we produce. It's not any kind of good works that we can muster up. It's, it's nothing that we've ever done. It's the righteousness of Christ that's imputed to us. It's, it's put upon us that saves us. It's nothing that we've done, but it's everything that Jesus did. And it's, it's by faith in the person and the work of Jesus that we are saved. You see, God is just, and I said this once, but I'll say it again. God is just by punishing sin on the cross. And He's also the justifier. That when we believe in the gospel message by faith, we're no longer seen as guilty sinners. But we're made right as God has placed on us the righteousness of his son. He doesn't see us as dead, lost sinners. He sees us clothed in the righteousness of the works of his son. See, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. The holy and loving nature of God is put on display in the message of the gospel. And it is by faith in this message that you and I are made righteous. So, of course, Paul is not ashamed of this gospel. A man who committed himself to a strict form of Judaism. A man so focused on knowledge and learning. A man who worked so hard to to establish his own righteousness. A man who thought he was zealously serving God was actually persecuting Jesus. Despite all of Paul's knowledge, he was blind. And despite all of Paul's devotion, he was indifferent. Despite all of Paul's good works, he had nothing to show but filthy deeds. And on that road to Damascus, 
to persecute Christians. Paul found that the righteousness that saves, the righteousness he strived his entire life to earn, was found only through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected. See, Paul quotes from the Old Testament here in verse 17. But the righteous man shall live by faith. One who lives by faith in the power of God revealed in the gospel is a righteous person. So no matter how foolish the message of the gospel may seem to the intellectual of the day, no matter how foolish the message of the gospel may seem to the religious, no matter how foolish the gospel may seem to the hostile world that we live in, we trust that God's way is better. We trust in the righteousness of God that has been revealed. We live every day for the rest of our lives, from start to finish, for all of eternity, riding on the righteousness of God that has been given to us through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. See, Paul lived these verses out in his life and in his ministry. If we know Paul and his writings, we know that. He was the greatest missionary for Jesus in history. See, upon the beautiful feet of Paul, he carried the very message that brought salvation to the ends of the earth. He carried the message that saved those who believe from all nations, tribes, tongues, and people. He, he carried the message of Jesus that united these diverse people and caused them to treasure Jesus above all else. See, this section of Scripture has been responsible for some of the greatest gospel movements in history. This Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. The book of Romans was the book of Romans in Romans chapter 13 that Augustine actually picked up and read and was saved. And the book of Romans here in, in Romans chapter 1 verse 16 and 17 was what Martin Luther was saved by reading. He was actually had Augustine's commentaries on his desk studying for his lectures through Romans. The man was a monk. He was so desperately desiring to try to attribute righteousness uh, to himself. And Martin Luther was studying. He was saved by reading this very text. He, working diligently, like I said, to provide for himself righteousness that would please God, he found that the righteousness he so desperately needed was the righteousness that God freely gives to all who believe. Martin Luther went on to take a stand for the gospel against the world in the 16th century. Remember the, the 95 theses that he nailed to the, to the door in Wittenberg, Germany. Standing up to say that salvation is by grace alone, in faith alone, in Christ alone, uh, revealed in the scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. Saying what the Bible clearly teaches, he was making a stand against the entire world in the 16th century. And God used this canon of a man, Martin Luther, to blow apart the religious system of the day by the power of the gospel. And God used this man to begin what was known as the Protestant Reformation. Uh, it was one of the largest gospel movements in history. And over 200 years later, after Martin Luther, a minister named John Wesley, a man who was ordained and not saved, a man who said with his very own words that he went to America to convert the Native Americans, and, and, and he wondered who would convert him. John Wesley, in his own words, went unwillingly to a religious meeting, and when he got there, he heard the preface of Martin Luther's commentary to Romans. These very words here. The words of these verses spoken, he wrote this. I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. 
And from here, the fiery preaching of John Wesley, a, a, a revival swept through England and transformed the nation. The very words of Romans 16, or 1, 16 through 17, have ignited a fire that has brought revival to hearts, homes, and churches throughout the centuries. God has used these very verses to bring salvation to the nations. God has used these very verses to bring a people to Himself, unified in Christ as treasuring Him the most. For I'm unashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. But the righteous man shall live by faith. So what's the vision for Imago Day? What's the vision for us as a church? That we would be unashamed of the gospel. Because it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes That we would live by faith, trusting in the righteousness of God that was freely given to us through faith in Jesus. So parents, if you want to see revival happen in our hearts and in our homes, in our churches, in our community, we have to be unashamed of the gospel. And children, I want you to know this, that that if you want to change the world one day, if you want to bring the gospel to the nations, you must be unashamed of the gospel. And church, if we want to see a body of believers fill this room from different walks of life, all bearing the image of God, unified by Jesus as most treasured in our lives, we must be unashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation. Let's pray.